Chris Jenny. Listening to that, I realize it's a long road and a walk to freedom. My name is Barry. I'm married to a lady by the name of Rita. She's better looking than I am. And unfortunately, she cannot be with us here tonight. Uh, we've got all our kids from the rest of the world as he is with, with us for the next two months. My journey started in 1945. That's way back before the Earth's crust hardened. I was the only son, and I am the only son, five sisters, had a mom and dad. Mom was a religious lady. Dad was a nice guy, but not a religious guy. As a matter of fact, he had his own thing. He was a provider for the family, but he was also a man who had his party over the weekends and then abused the family. So it was a tough thing. Uh, in those days, we, the bids were much higher from the floor than what they are these days. So we had a box full of shoes in there. And when my dad started performing, my sister and I would get the box out and start throwing him with the shoes. And it wasn't because of what they practice in the East, but that's what we did. I grew up in different worlds, as it were. Um, as a young boy, I spent a lot of time on the farm with my grandparents, uh, who happened to be the parents of my mom. My dad came from Utenaig. My mom from a place called Albertinia, a farm, Drifontaine, still lying there. And uh, my mom had the sad experience of a farm that was given to her by my grandfather that was taken away from her by force. And I'm still fighting day to day to get that farm back. Maybe I must get Julius Malema to help me. Uh, but we're working on that. It was a struggle for us as a family. We battled, had tough times, didn't have meals certain evenings. But my mom always organized something so that we would have something to go to bed with. I remember very well, you know, my dad coming home some weekends. And they had on the parade those years, those carrier bags and all the fruit that he would buy and he would bring it home. And that was the one thing that we looked forward to as kids my dad to come home and bring that for us in spite of what he was doing. I grew up then with a lot of anger as a young man in my home because of what I saw in my home as it were. And I started doing things that I should not have been doing. Now, I usually don't talk about my past. And I don't think I'm going to hang out the linen here tonight either. So I'm sorry about that, Howard. Unless I get the director from on high to do that. It wasn't a very beautiful life that I lived. I was involved in all kinds of stuff. 
And um, the night that I came home after running away from home, looking for a better life, it was just the night before three of my friends and I, we had all the intentions of performing a grand robbery. But that night I got a telephone call of a close friend of mine back home that got killed in a motor car accident. And I came home undercover, not knowing how I was going to be accepted at home. The beautiful thing was that when I got home and I knocked on the door, my mom opened the door and she saw me and she hugged me. She wept, she welcomed me back, broken as I was. A Couple of months later, I got myself into big trouble. Got locked up. You weren't there to help me. You see, this is where your friends desert you, you see. And I remember the words of that policeman as he spoke to me that morning, the Sunday morning, when my mom came to pick me up, telling me about this beautiful family I come from. Why do I do these things? And I thought to myself, you don't know half of it. Three weeks later, got myself into trouble again. Got into a fight with the policeman right there in the charge office. I was so angry and I said to myself, if I can get hold of this guy's gun, I'm going to shoot him. I developed a hatred for white people. It made me a very bitter man. And that was even before my mom was dispossessed of her rights and all of these things. and living through apartheid. Now, eventually my mom and my dad bought a house, but in the community where we live, they were building houses, and a lot of the black African men who were laborers were working there. And it was in the time, as Howard was indicating, they had what they called the dompas, this piece of paper that they had. And when the police van came around, these guys had to run to get away from the cops because they were merciless. They would run into our homes, and I remember some of them running into our home. We hid them in the cupboards. We hid them under the beds. And we told a lot of lies to tell the policemen they're not, we never saw them, we don't know where they are, simply to protect these guys. Many of them got dragged away, got locked up, lost their jobs, and that even added more to the anger and the hatred that I had growing up for white people. And I tried to be very nice. I would never say boss or boss, you know, to them. And I wouldn't tell you what they said to us. But it wasn't easy. It was tough. It was tough. I saw in the workplace how we had to work, how white people were brought in 
who did not even know the work and the job, and eventually they were promoted to be managers and directors, and we stayed the laborers, even added fuel to the fire even more. But you know, I got saved eventually. My parents used to send me to church while they would be lying in bed reading the Cape Times. And uh, grew up in church, even in spite of the younger days before I left the church. And it was in a church, I don't know if I should mention the name of the church, but one of the things we did was we did steal the communion wine in the church, believe it or not. But eventually, you know, my mom attended a prayer meeting in the neighborhood. She wasn't a believer, but there was a prayer meeting in the neighborhood where all the wives got together. Because of the difficulties they went through and the trials they experienced, these women actually got together to pray. And Barry Isaacs, his name was on the list. And they prayed for me. Because in the community where I live, the people warned their children, don't hang around that guy. And when they got into trouble, the parents, was ja weer moet so en so gewees. I won't tell you what they called me. But the day came when God answered my mother's prayer and the prayer of the other ladies. And my life was turned around. I think the gospel disrupted my life, even in regards to relationship to race. And slowly, I began to learn the difference of what it was and where I was and where I was now as a Christian. It wasn't easy because the old nature just doesn't leave you, you know. You have situations where you rub shoulders with white people and black people and colored people, um, all of these things. And um, there are times when you think of the situation and the privileges that whites have and that people of other colors never have. And so they are privileged. They could do what they wanted to do and they could have what they wanted to have in regards to education, etc., and so forth, which others didn't have. But when I became a Christian, couple of things happened. Fast forward. I went to Bible college, and even there at Bible college, I had some incidents with white missionaries. Because the white missionaries that were there, for us, when we came to their homes, we had to go in by the back door. It's a long road to freedom. And even there, at Bible college, it, it added fuel to the anger that I had for this type of thing. Well, eventually out of Bible college, 
of you believe in miracles? I managed to get through. Went to min into ministry. Long story short, I was appointed then eventually as the chaplain at UWC for the Christian group there. 1976, one of the dates you had up here, I was teaching class doing some discipleship thing. And the next thing that happened on college at the university was there was a lot of shouting going on. And all those Bible school, all those uh, university students, Christians that were there with me, instead of sitting with their Bibles, the next thing I saw them with stones in their hands. And everyone was running out. It just took one of those ladies to cause a ruckus. And I tell you, the stones flew. The cops were on to us. We were beat up badly. Many of us were locked up, etc., and so forth. My anger for white people grew even more. 1985, the Tro Trojanos issue, I was there. I was almost at every protest meeting you could find me. I'm sure the security guys had my name and my number plate somewhere. I was there. But this one thing I'll remember. There was a store in Belgravia, which is called, as well, some of you might know, Roikas, opposite the Athlone Stadium. And everything was quiet. As students, we were out on the field. Some of the cops were standing there with their guns. And in those days, they never used rubber bullets. They were standing there. And then a lot of the young people and everybody just ran over, smashed the windows of the shop, grabbed what they could grab. And I said to my friend, hey, this is a big mistake. There's cops in that shop. And the next thing, a volley of shots rang out. I saw people falling. A young girl of eight years old ran down the road and she fell. A friend of mine and I, we ran over, we picked up. She had a hole in her head. I could stick my fist into it. That same night, that mother went to the police station to talk about her child and the cops beat her up in the charge office. But this time, I said to myself, if I could get a gun, I will kill every white person I see. That's how I felt. While at Bible college, now, you have to understand this. In my veins runs the blood of many nations. I made a discovery when I checked, did my family tree and went through my DNA. For those of you who have did a little bit of study, you know the VOC, the Dutch, when they came here, there was a doctor by the name of Dr. Peter Mierov, who got married to a lady by the name of Croatia, Croatia. They had a big fight recently to have a name up at the airport. I discovered that I am actually a direct descendant of that marriage. Maybe that's why I was from Dimakar. As a matter of fact, it was a big deal 
because when they got married, it was a governmental thing. It was a royal thing. Maybe you should call me King John. <laughs> but you know something? I begin to understand a little bit more. We were thrown out of District 6 also, added to our anger for white people, what they did. But this one thing my wife says, you know, all things for good. If she was here, she would tell a story herself. All things happen for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And um, when my wife was, and her family was thrown out of District 6, I was born in Burkhoff, and we all had to leave the city. We moved into a place that the city organized and built some houses called Vanguard Estate. And my mom bought a house, and her family bought a house, and they were, they were neighbors. And so I never had the problem of traveling by train or taxi to get to Rita. I just jumped over the fence. But the big thing for me is when Rita says this, she says, you know, Barry, if the government didn't throw us out of District 6, I would never have met you. So for her, she says, all things work for good. <laughs> so it took a big deal. It took the government to get her to me. <laughs> I've learned that over the years, I understand now who I am in Christ. Bible says old things pass away and all things become new. You become a brand new creation. I look at Howard, I look at John, I look at others that I rub shoulders with in different parts of the city. And I realize as Christians, we have all been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That makes us one in the family of God. One head, Jesus Christ. We might be brothers and sisters and have different mothers, but we are all united in Christ. When I came to Connect, new name, I had difficulties with some of you folk because white people don't like greeting. You know, Jenny said, you know, as colored people, we come from a background where we are warm. White people look at you and they walk past you. I will greet you three, four times a day if I walk past you. Because that's the way we are. And I said to my wife, why do you still hang around in this church? Let's go. What's going to happen even if I die? Because the people don't even know me. Nobody's going to come to my funeral. But you know what we decided? Instead of waiting for Howard to greet me, we decided we are going to greet Howard. And that got the conversation going. I'm just using a crude illustration. And I think sometimes that even the white people, they're not so sure if they're doing the right thing or saying the right thing. So they will keep their distance. But I want you to know as other coloreds, 
I'm not a colored. Somebody gave me that title. I'm not a colored. I want you to know. I'm a Christian. I'm born in South Africa, but I am a Christian. And I am excited, Howard and John, I am excited and the other leaders to what you are doing here. We tried it once, it took a nosedive. I pray that we will be consistent with this and work on this. Because this, if we do this in the right way, I believe we can become a model to the city. Because most of the discrimination and the disunity and the fragmentation is seen on a Sunday morning in our city. Where the blacks go over there and the coloreds go over there and so forth, etc. There were colored people in this church who left this church because of that. But I hope that we're going to get it right to begin to understand who we are in Christ. I believe we need to become unoffensible in regards to racism. You know, Jesus came as a mixed race savior. In John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world, that means it was Barry, it was John, it was Howard, it was everyone else, all of us. He died for all of us. And we are one. And so I believe that this is going to be. So the key challenge for me is we have to confront the issues. I pray and trust that, including myself, that we will have the grace to deal with the truth and to engage truthfully with each other. Because I don't believe we have seen the Rainbow Nation yet. And maybe this could be a starting point for us at Connect, that we can be part of that. I now confine myself, as it were, to the area in which I am personally involved in, in family life, and also in working in a, an organization which I chair, Concerned Clergy, which is uh, dealing with the unity and the oneness of the church and the body of Christ. Because I believe if we are going to make a difference, we need to take hands and to do this together. So for all those years under apartheid, for me, I believe characterized with all that negates normal development of, of people of color, I want to conclude with what the Constitution of South Africa reads like. It says we, the people of South Africa, recognize the injustice of the past. Honor those who suffered for justice and freedom in our land. Respect those who have worked to build and develop our country and believe that South Africa belongs to all who live in it, united in our diversity. We therefore, through our freely elected representatives, 
adopt the Constitution as the supreme law of the Republic so as to heal the divisions of the past and establish a society based on democratic values, show social justice, and fundamental human rights. Lay the foundations of a democratic and open society in which government is based on the will of the people and every citizen, citizen in equally protected by law. Improve the quality of life of all citizens and free the potential of each person. Build a united and democratic South Africa, able to take its rightful place as a sovereign state in the family of nations. May God protect our people in Kosi Sikalele, Africa. And you know, it is so beautiful if we can take that and in the context of who we are as Christians and make this a reality, may God help us to become the kind of people that he wants us to be. So when I see you, I now look at you through the eyes of Jesus. I don't see a white man, a white woman. I see a man, a woman, who God was creative enough to make you the way you are and the way I am. But we are all made of one blood. Thank you.